It's always good to hear the pages turning. That's a thrill for the preacher that people are actually going there. So, hear the word of God. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Ascends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, in a world of... Many, many competing messages. We are grateful as your people that you have spoken and that you have given us your word to tell us who you are and to tell us what you've done for us, who you are for us, how we can find you and how we can serve you. And so we are grateful for your word. And we pray that as we come to it this morning, that you would send your spirit, that you would illumine our minds to understand it, to see its depths and its riches, and that you would help us to apply it. Pray that you would give us attentive minds and that you would help our listening and even my speaking to be genuine acts of worship that we bring to you as we seek to exalt you through your Word, And we pray that you would help us to, to see this, that we might have it enrich our lives and, and fill us with more joy in Christ. We pray that you would deepen our faith, that you would give us faith. We pray that you would overcome the deficiencies of the one who preaches, for they are many. And that you would use the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts that we might love you more and serve you better. And we pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. There's a legend about the translation of this psalm that in the early 1600s when they were translating the King James Version, the Englishman heading up that translation project for the Psalter recruited William Shakespeare to help them shape the language of of this psalm in particular 
more of them, uh, because he was a master poet. And it just so happened, so right now I want to emphasize the legend, it just so happened that on Shakespeare's 46th birthday, he came to edit the translation of this 46th psalm, and not wanting to miss the chance to leave his mark in the Psalter, Shakespeare positioned the word shake as the 46th word from the beginning, and spear as the 46th word from the end. I'm not really interested in if that story is true, though it seems unlikely. But I think it makes an important point that is actually relevant as we reflect on Psalm 46. The story makes clear that to produce something great, it takes a master. It would take a masterful eye to bring about such a carefully crafted translation of of this classic psalm. And because Shakespeare was such a master at his craft, people trusted that he would produce a tremendous product. And likewise, when we take up our psalm and read it, we see that God is such a master at protecting his people through his good providence, that he is worth trusting for our good. And the point to take away is that we trust masters in their trades. And while the poet is a master of crafting poems, God shapes the events of history. When we are in his hands, we are safe and we can have full assurance of our deliverance. And that ought to hold potential for great comfort for us as we realize that our God is molding history and holds every event in His hands and is ready to act on your behalf. Because of this, it makes great sense to call God our fortress, the place where we hide and the place where we run for refuge. So the main point, Psalm 46, is that because God is the mighty sovereign over history and nations, we have every reason to trust him and our confidence should give way to praise. So let me say that again. Because God is the mighty sovereign over history and nations, we have every reason to trust him, and our confidence should give way to praise. We'll see that in three points, the person of our refuge, the place of our refuge, and the power of our refuge. And so first, the person of our refuge, and I want to Sort of focus in on verses 1 to 3 here. If we can keep our attention there. War is always a really powerful image, isn't it? It, it resonates with us at, at almost every level of our being. And it has the ability to evoke almost any emotion in us, depending on how it's presented. We can be filled with fear by photographs of destruction. 
We can be filled with hope at stories of victory for the just. And most relevant for us is we can be filled with courage by the knowledge of the great strength and fortitude of our allies. So the purpose of this first point is to look at the first section there in verses 1 to 3, which focus on God who provides precisely this knowledge of strength in our, from our God. And so from verse 1 we find the reason that Martin Luther titled his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. God is our refuge and our strength. There are, there are many different types of psalms. Some of them are psalms of praise. Some of them are psalms of lament. And we call this a psalm of confidence because it asserts a strong trust in God and focuses on trust centralized through through the lens of trial. They're, they are clearly reflecting on times of trial. And the second half of verse 1 is a, is a beautiful encouragement to God's people. The, the ESV well translates it, a very present help in trouble. But, you know, I think this is one instance where a really wood, almost boring translation can sort of bring out some nuances here. We can, we can state this very plainly. In troubles, God will be found abundantly. In troubles, God will be found abundantly. And now think about the promises embedded in that statement. Our times of trouble, our experience of distress, that's often when we feel most distant from God. We see over and over, even in the Psalms, David cry out to God to relieve his suffering. And we see Psalms deal with the utter pits of despair and cry out for God to quit hiding himself from his people. And Psalm 46, however, tells us that it is in our troubles that God will be found and found abundantly. The abundant presence of God. The overflowing presence of God. And the psalmist continues to highlight the strength of God in light of several troublesome events in verses 2 and 3. And some, some would like to think that this quaking of the earth, the, the crumbling of mountains and the raging of the seas are, are actual historical events that this writer witnessed. And so they, some readers think that these verses highlight God's providence through events of disaster and how God is sovereign to protect us even from the weather. 
And I think that that is certainly true. But I don't think that that's the point the psalmist made here. Rather, I think he uses this language of natural disaster to to describe poetically the sense of dread, the sense of being overwhelmed when we are confronted by our enemies, by any trial we face. The, the very theme of, of refuge, fortress, immediately brings to mind the war-setting mentality. And throughout the Psalms, we are reminded of, of God against the nations. And the nations are, of course, the Old Testament enemies of God. And so maybe one of the most persuasive things for me here is how the Old Testament uses language of natural disaster to highlight the impending danger as, as God's, or at least God's people's enemies, rush against them. So think with me of Isaiah chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. Let me read these to you. The Lord spoke to me again because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the sons of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breath, breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And so we see there the armies of Assyria are described as a flood and the the banks against which this army flood breaks are the land of Judah. And this disaster language is is picked up in Psalm 46 to, to highlight how there are times of great danger and trouble as the enemies of God's people rage like a storming sea and even seem to make the earth quake beneath us. And the reason the psalmist brings this up is to remind us that even in these times, God is our fortress and unyielding line of defense. Verse 2 tells us it is even though enemies may rise to challenge God's people, we will not fear because... That wonderful word, because God is our refuge. How can we be afraid? And yet it is so easy to forget that, is it not? And reading this part of Psalm 46, it may be easy to think of it as a a description of the power of God's enemies. This quaking of the earth, the roaring of the seas. And in one sense, it is describing the great power of God's enemies. That that can be in focus. 
But the point is that even though God's enemies may have great power, God is more powerful. It doesn't matter how big they are, how threatening they may seem. God is bigger. The person of our refuge is God himself. And this should fill us with tremendous confidence in the face of trial because our shelter is the supreme God of the universe. And that brings us to our second point, the place of refuge. So the the first point highlighted how although there are great dangers that can rise against God's people, there is even then no need to fear because because it is God who is our refuge, our fortress. And the reason not to fear is not the fact that we have a refuge, but we do not fear because of who our refuge is. Our refuge is God. And nothing will break our defenses when we hide ourselves in God. And this point moves to to look more at verses 4 to 7, where the psalmist writes of the place where God's people dwell. And the fact is that God knows we are physical people, that we dwell in earthly places, and in fact, he made us to be that way and called it good. God does not leave us with an abstract, unearthly assurance of being our refuge. But through this psalm, God describes a place where he is our refuge. And so the first thing to notice about verses 4 to 7 is how there's a contrast with the raging disasters that come against God's people in verses 1 to 3. Here is a place where the rivers whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. This is a peaceful place. Although the armies are like roaring and foaming seas in the city of God, there are peaceful streams to give joy and delight and peace to God's people. This stream is a valu- the valuable stream that flowed out of the mountain city of Jerusalem, God's city. Although, although the earth quakes and gives way, God is in the midst of his city. And therefore, this city will not be moved. Although the mountains fall into the sea... The Most High lives on the mountain in Jerusalem and will remain exalted. And so the city of God is very different from the conditions outside of her walls. There is peace in the city of God. There is stability and comfort in the city of God. Here... There is provision, no matter how the world outside may fall to pieces. Verse 6 gives us 
the reason why the Israelites could have so much confidence in the security found in God's city. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. And the earth melts. What this is saying is that the people need to remember that no matter how much chaos is stirred by the violent nations, no matter how many empires come and go, no matter what threats may stand against God's people, when God speaks, they disintegrate. The dangers that threaten God's people look dangerous, but they all wear masks of wax that melt at the Word of God, revealing weak and trembling cowards whom God will find fit for destruction. How often do we find ourselves today, personally, as the church even, find ourselves weak in the knees when our enemies put on their wax masks. How often do Christians feel the need to run in fear, not necessarily even against threats of our actual dwelling places, but against other things in which we find our security? How scared are we as the church that we will not be relevant? puts on its threatening mask of relevance, filling our church church services with games and and dances and jokes to make church fun, exciting, relevant. The striking thing about that is that if we cave like that, It is precisely, it is exactly the thing that makes us irrelevant. We are deceived into giving up the things that make us matter as the church. The simple fact is, the church is most relevant when someone reads and preaches the Bible and dead hearts come to life. I mean, let me ask you, is raising the dead exciting and relevant? Dead come to life. People tend to pay attention. And when the Word of God goes out, dead hearts are raised and believe in Jesus. This is why for us, the church is the place of our refuge. God once gave His people a city on a mountain with a faithful, joy-giving stream running through it. We have a place of refuge before the throne of God. Where inside these walls, we have more than a life-giving stream, but a life-giving stream that flows from the words of this book. And that stream is Jesus Christ.
gives us living water. Verse 5 tells us, God is in her midst. She will not be moved. And that is Christ's church. God is in her midst. She will not be moved. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the place of our refuge is among the people of Christ. And that brings us to our third point, the power of our refuge. So in the second point, we saw uh, how now we are a people dwelling in the safest place imaginable. The community of the Lord Jesus. That is our place of refuge. No matter what any nation, culture, or foe screams against us, the Lord dwells in our midst. And His enemies will melt like wax if they try to steal His glory. The place where God lives now is in His people, in His church. And at this point, I want to look more at verses 8 to 11, which demonstrate the power of God to keep His promises, to be this fortress and refuge for His people. So where verses 1 to 7 have made the promise of refuge, verses 8 to 11 keep the promise of refuge. In the uh, original context of this psalm, it is likely the psalmist is reflecting on an actual defeat of an army that came to challenge Jerusalem. And the most popular suggestion is the defeat of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. If you say those names fast and confident, people think you know what you're doing. Uh, And we find an account of this defeat in 2 Chronicles 32. Interestingly, uh, one of the great things about being here is if you go to the British Museum, there's a wall taken from the city of Lachish, and it's still preserved, and it gives um, a pictorial account of Sennacherib's siege of Lachish. And the reason that he uh, went to siege Lachish is because he could not take Jerusalem, as Second Chronicles 32 tells us. And so this attempted attack from the Assyrians may be the context of Psalm 46, but in the end, the psalm does not give us any real hint as to what victory is described as God shatters the bows, spears, and chariots aimed against his people. What is striking about these verses in the invitation of verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. I mean, the psalmist says, come and look at what God is doing. As if the invitation about demolishing enemies is a gleeful event. In some ways, it is a gleeful event for God's people. Every time 
an enemy of God, opposes his people, the same invitation stands for his people. Come and see what God is about to do. It's interesting that that we most often hear verse 10, Be still and know that I am God, addressed to believers in churches. We see, seem to think it means if we are, if we're quiet and if we're still enough and well enough in tune with the Spirit that God will deliver to us better knowledge of Himself. But that does not seem to me what it is talking about in Psalm 46 because here it addresses the nations that have been raging. It is not a quiet, be still and know that I am God. It is a thundering, stop, be still, I am God, and you will not oppose my people. And as the nations cease their tumults, God is proclaimed and exalted, and his people magnify him as the one who brings an end to their enemies. It reminds me of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I'll not read both chapters entirely, where God gives a grand description of his battle against King Gog from Magog and what he will do to Gog as he brings his armies against God's people. And Ezekiel 39.7 sounds strikingly similar to parts of Psalm 46. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Ezekiel 38, 2-4 Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaw, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and and wielding swords. I love how in verse 3 there, God in essence says to the enemies of his people, I will bring you to challenge my people and I will put hooks in your jaw. Not, not only is that a fierce description of God's vengeance, but setting hooks in people's jawbone was how the, how the Babylonians subjugated their their slaves and humiliated them. So God says, I will crush you and I will enslave you. And Ezekiel 39, 17-20 goes on to tell us of how God is offering a sacrificial meat to the birds made from the bodies of Gog's army. And John 
The Apostle John picks up that passage in Revelation 19 to describe the last battle between God and his enemies. And so we find in Psalm 46, in the book of Ezekiel, and the end of Revelation, the same amount announcement of God's power to be the defender of his people and a massive power to throw down all his opponents. And that forms the very reason, the basis of why we can and should sing this psalm and offer great praise as we find full confidence in his ability to shield us from our foes. The power of our refuge is that God is more able, more than able to crush all those who would stand against you. This is exactly why we say in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that Christ executes his office of king by ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. As we close, we shouldn't forget that that catechism also says Christ rules as king by subduing us to himself. Because indeed, there's not only a war that happens against God's church, from which we need God to be our fortress, but as Paul teaches in Romans 7.15, there's also a war in each of us who believe in Christ. For I don't understand my own actions. For I don't even do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Even Christians find themselves at war with sin living in us. We find not only the need for protection from our enemies, but from ourselves. Our greatest enemy, which is death, is only our enemy because each of us is a sinner condemned by God's law and guilty in His sight. That is, unless we take refuge in Christ. Colossians 2, that we read earlier, verses 13 to 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. For Christians... To find salvation, the person of our refuge is Jesus Christ who redeems us. The place of our refuge is His church where He sanctifies and protects us. And the power of our refuge is His cross, which cancels the legal demand for you to die and gives you the full forgiveness of sins in Christ's blood.
And in that is Christ's victory. His triumph over the nations and authorities as He brings you into His kingdom. The, the surprising victory of Psalm 46 is ultimately won in the surprising way of Christ's death on the cross, which buys for you safety and security and eternal fellowship with God. And so we should look to Christ. As Psalm 46 says is our refuge, as the book of Hebrews says, our sure and steadfast anchor. He is our fortress in heaven, guaranteeing us eternal life. Let's pray. God, this is a chaotic world. We live to 